Hey, it's Aidan here. Just before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know about something new. It's called the Magician's Business Group. We've just opened up a Facebook group designed to help you guys as entertainers grow and improve your entertainment business. So if that is you, if you are an entertainer that wants help growing and improving your entertainment business, just head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash group and the magic of the internet will take you right there. Or if you're like me, have the Facebook app on your phone, open it up and search for the Magician's Business Group and you'll go straight there. Anyways, back to the episode. Hello and welcome to this incredible episode of the Successful Mentalist podcast. My name is Aidan O'Sullivan and I'm joined by my very good friend and co-host, Mr. Ashley Green. Staying silent again. He does this in guest interviews. He always just stays quiet for some reason. I'm lurking. I'm lurking in the background, you see. I'm wondering. I'm waiting for uh, our incredible guest today to drop some amazing gold. And I'm just going to scribble it all down. I'm going to be like, yes, this is everything which I need to have an amazingly successful career. So I'm paying close attention for this one, Aiden. Oh, absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. So we've got this awkward smile now because uh, we said it ahead of time, but we're going to jump straight in. You know by the episode title that we're with none other than the incredible Rian Doris. Rian Doris, welcome to the Successful Mentalist podcast. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. It's fun to uh, be chatting with, I don't want to say fellow Brits because I'm not necessarily British, I'm Irish, but I think uh, I, I, the Irish and the British definitely have a similar similar sense of humor and a similar vibe, so it's it's fun to be chatting with you both. Awesome. It's, I mean, it's so good to, to have you on board. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to go straight into the question here of, Rian, are you a magician? <laughs> I'm not, but funnily enough, uh, my my co-founder and business partner, Stephen Kotler, used to be. I don't know if you know that, Aiden, but Stephen was a, uh, yeah, apparently a pretty impressive magician at age seven, eight, and nine. He used to uh, used to get paid top dollar doing bar mitzvahs and things like that in Cleveland, which is where he grew up. And that's actually how he got into peak performance and flow and the work that we do now. So he went from being a magician in Cleveland at age eight through to having that sort of start a journey that resulted in him, you know, consulting organizations like Google on peak performance because of what he learned initially as a nine-year-old magician. So what, well, what we're saying that here is fascinating. We, we're, that is really fascinating. I mean, we're, we're straight up saying, don't diminish the impact of card tricks because they can make you do awesome things. That's what we're saying, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm down to awesome. back that statement. <laughs> Love it. So that's about Stephen Kotler. We're not interviewing Stephen Kotler right now, Rian. Could you give us a little bit of an update in terms of who are you? If you're not a magician, who are you? What do you do? Sure. Yeah. It's always a good one. The, uh, you know, the, who are you question, especially when you're not allowed to answer with the professional answer with your background, it's, it, it always, it always stumps me, but I'll just give a little bit of, a little bit of background, um, and, and kind of tell, yeah, my story a little bit. So when I was age, uh, 13, I went down a water slide head first, which I think you, you've, you've heard a little bit about it and, uh, had a really bad head injury as a result of, going down that water slide head first, trying to somersault off the bottom, cracked the top of my head off the concrete bottom of the pool. And that caused sort of a post head injury malaise is what it got diagnosed as. Basically this kind of difficult to diagnose set of 
debilitating symptoms like chronic fatigue, nausea, blurred vision if I exercised, which was one of the scarier symptoms. And that lasted for about seven years, the whole way through my, my teen years. And throughout that period of adversity and challenge, I got into the world of peak performance, of self-development, of spirituality, actually, to an extent, and philosophy, ended up studying philosophy in college, and then got into this space that I'm currently in, um, coaching and training organizations around the neuroscience of peak performance. So that's a little bit of the backstory. Love that. So we, we said this just uh, just before we started recording in terms of peak performance. Uh, a lot of our audience are probably going to be sitting here thinking peak performance. Oh, yeah, I, I, I've done a good show in my time. I've, I'm sure I'm a peak performer from time to time. That's not necessarily the right way of looking at it. We're after a very specific sort of definition of peak performance here. So what, what do we actually mean by peak performance? Well, interestingly, I actually think that a magician saying that is 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 not too far off you know peak the way i do think about peak performance is achieving your goal in whatever context it is that you're trying to achieve your goal at maximum capacity and so if you're a magician and your goal is to <clears throat> produce an incredible show and wow your audience and have them all come back the next time and you nail that that's likely an instance of peak performance where things potentially differ to you know that which is very intuitive is what's required to be able to consistently create that kind of peak performance and that's where we get into the sort of work we do which involves you know a whole host of things required to sustainably access peak performance or flow state which is often used synonymously with peak performance because you know, have, having uh, a show where you peak perform once a month or, you know, one, one in every five shows is not massively impactful, but being able to consistently turn up that dial and perform at your best is when the game really changes for people. So we're talking a lot about here in terms of like performing your best and being your best, like every time. And I suppose people are kind of sat here thinking, yeah, that sounds great, but like, where do we start if we want to start performing our best and doing our best? Like, are there specific things which you'd recommend to people? You need to start doing this to accomplish this. You need to start doing this. And then these are like the first steps to go along and start working your way and, and, and being your best self. Yeah, I think a good starting place is to try and <clears throat> work on the things that are blocking you from peak performance before even adding anything in. A, a lot of people, if they remove the stuff that trips them up and gets the gets in their way, they, you know, they, their, their performance goes through the roof. They massively improve what they're able to do. And so I think that's always the starting point is, is kind of getting the getting the, the the junk out of the way that's tripping you up. And that may be a whole host of different things. We refer to them often as flow blockers, things that block peak performance. These are things like distraction, burnout, exhaustion, stress, and an inability to, you know, regulate the nervous system as a result of that. And so I think, you know, focusing on those sorts of things first before trying to add in, you know, fancy new hacks or new protocols is always is always the best way to go. You kind of want to clean house 
before you add anything else in. I love that. As, as you're going through all of these different blockers, I'm like, yep, 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 yep. I could definitely resonate with all of these. Uh, this is this is brilliant. Is there, are there any of those particular blockers that you find come up more than others? I think distraction at the moment is huge. And one of the things we always say is that flow follows focus, that you can't access a flow stage or a state of peak performance where you're fully immersed in the task at hand, where the whole world melts away and you're, you know, quote unquote, in the zone without a prolonged period of focus and distraction pulls and tugs on our ability to focus and blocks us from, from, you know, achieving peak performance. So being able to create an environment and a situation and a lifestyle that is minimal in distraction is, is really important. And we can talk about, you know, what's involved in that being able to quickly recover from distractions and anchor your attention back onto whatever it is that you're trying to do or achieve is is really important and then being able to control your impulses so that you don't distract yourself is also incredibly important the majority of distractions according to the literature are self distractions us getting kind of yanked in by different stimuli that that pulls at our attention and not having the impulse control to resist that and so we we distract ourselves to a, to a huge extent. We just interviewed um, Dr. Uh, Daniel Goleman, who did a lot of the research on emotional intelligence. He actually wrote the book, Emotional Intelligence, and kind of coined that term and did a lot of pioneering work in that field. And he also did a lot of work into, did a lot of research in non-ordinary states and meditation, and really did a lot of work on the meditation literature. And we were asking him, you know, what, what is the biggest source of distraction what is the thing that decades of meditation helps mitigate in terms of distraction and he simply said yourself you know it's, it's your it's your your emotions tend to be the thing that pulls you away from the task at hand and into states that are less productive more than anything else and so in terms of distraction mitigating distraction being able to have the kind of emotional regulation that allows you to not give in to those impulses is, is super important as well when it comes to distraction. I love that. You, you mentioned meditation there, and I think that's this is really interesting because I still think that from like flat out, meditation was a game changer for both myself and Ashley. Like as soon as we start, it was it's now a, a, a daily habit and it's the only real rock solid daily habit just because it's so profound. But there's still quite a... I, I, I don't know whether this is the same with you and, and your world of things, but we still feel a lot of resistance about meditation and that people saying they can't do it or they don't like it or there's still this mindset of meditation is sitting in a cave like a Shaolin monk for decades trying to get the brain to shut up and not, not finding much success. Is that Would you say meditation is a, is a, a key, something that we should pay more attention to? Yeah, I, th I, think, I think meditation and more broadly mindfulness is incredibly incredibly important and mindfulness is distinct from meditation and meditation is distinct from mindfulness there are lots of different types of meditation mindfulness is one type of meditation and then there's a difference between mindfulness meditation or state-based mindfulness so becoming mindful 
whilst in meditation and then what they call or what is called dispositional mindfulness which is having a more mindful disposition all the time in general outside of the specific instance of meditating and i think that having a mindful disposition being a more mindful person is an incredible incredible superpower and, and is extremely important but what i would say is that meditation or mindfulness meditation is not necessarily the only way to become more mindful being mindful is essentially just having the ability to distance oneself from one's thoughts emotions or the stimuli that's showing up in one's conscious awareness and being able to bear witness to that rather than identifying with that. So rather than thinking, you know, I am anger, being able to actually kind of step back and see, oh, there is anger or I feel anger. And having being able to create that distance, which, which comes with mindfulness is, is incredibly, incredibly powerful. But what I would say is that meditation, interestingly, is the epitome of simple, but not easy. And we often default to meditation because it's extremely well-researched, it's free, it's popular, but it's hard. It's extremely hard. And a lot of people get frustrated, as you're saying, Aiden, with not being able to do it effectively. And that's because it's a pretty sophisticated practice. And in my opinion, there are better, easier initial ways to cultivate a more mindful disposition than meditation that give you better bang for your buck that work more consistently and reliably. One example of that is journaling. If you sit down and journal for 20 minutes, you're definitely going to get some kind of result. You're at least going to have a few pages of, of things written. The likelihood is that those things are going to be, you know, interesting and they will have changed your perspective, your mindset, and given you that space, that mindfulness between yourself and, you know, the emotions or thoughts that you're dealing with day to day. Whereas it's very easy to sit down in meditation for 20 minutes, just be fidgety and kind of end it even more sort of frustrated and angsty. Another good example is breath work, which is a form of active meditation where you, you use the breath to shift the state of the nervous system. And one really popular example of breath work is Wim Hof breathing. And we can, we can talk about how to do that if, if it's of interest. But if you do Wim Hof breathing for 20 minutes, you're guaranteed a result. You can't breathe like that if you're a human and not end up feeling very distinctly different afterwards. Whereas again, it's very, very easy to sit in meditation for 20 minutes, come out the other end the same or more frustrated. And that's not to discourage people from meditation, but I think that there are, there are practices that you can start with that are more consistently and reliably going to give you bang for buck than, than meditation. Although, you know, I think that Ultimately, in, in many respects, meditation is the most powerful long-term practice. And the people that I've met who are most impressive from a you know consciousness and development perspective are all meditators, much more so than people who've gone down you know other paths, like the the psychedelic path, for example, was a big one. And I I always personally, at least, just find those who've gone extremely deep into meditation to be to be just more, to be more impressive individuals. And I just think it's worth bearing in mind though, that it's, it's actually quite a sophisticated, challenging practice and that you can, you can start off with some other practices. will give you a similar result, but do so more reliably. 
I love what you've just outlined here. And I'll tell you why, because I know so many people listening to this podcast will have just had their minds blown because they would have come into this thinking, oh, well, I hear the title of today's podcast. I know the guy that's on, but it doesn't really relate to me. I mean, I do so much in my business. I do so much in my entertainment career. I do so much with my magic. And I've got loads of systems in place. I do this. I do outsourcing, blah, 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 blah. All they automate stuff. And what you've said is there's so much important thing which you should do, such as meditation, mindfulness, journaling, breathing. And these are the important foundations. And like you've said, you should build up on that. Most people just think that maybe like systematizing and automating their business is enough, but they're still going to feel that stress and that's going to be holding them back, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's extremely important to separate the internal and the external, you know, and if your internal state and environment and your, you know, internal way of being is not in a good place, it doesn't matter if your external environment or, you know, setup or business or whatever is extremely, extremely well ordered because ultimately, you know, the only thing that you have full control over is your internal state, your actual internal awareness and what that feels like so i think that's i think that's super important and i think you know just from a productivity and performance standpoint people underestimate the extent to which success in business and in a lot of endeavors is judgment based and in order to be able to have good clean clear judgment and to be able to think effectively and have effective cognition you need to have a well looked after nervous system. If you're underslept and you're jazzed up on caffeine and you're anxious and distracted, you're not going to be able to produce good results or make good decisions, even if you're working, you know, 17, 18 hours a day. And people underestimate that side of the equation, the judgment side of the equation, the leverage side of the, the equation, and they over index on hours worked or effort put in and it's it's really the the judgment and what you do that is that is crucial in my opinion one of the ways i always talk about this is that task management trumps time management every time that it's it's, it's infinitely more important to do the right things than to do lots of things and in order to be able to do the right things and identify the right things to do you've got to have space internally you've got to have clarity you've got to have calm internally and these kinds of practices that we're talking about help to cultivate that oh, i love that and it's particularly prominent in in the actually like a less is more kind of approach like i've been fascinated with minimalism for for years like uh, i think there was a documentary on netflix called minimalism directed by matt diavella that just was a, it was a game changer for me back then i thought oh this is amazing and it kind of just didn't it didn't sink until maybe uh, like last year the penny dropped of like okay <laughs> I'm, I'm going the wrong way I'm, I'm taking productivity in that productivity is do as much as you absolutely can and, and fill your diary because then yeah I'm more productive at the end of the day and, and and the truth is that's really not the case as you're saying it's like the other way around it's actually looking at the level of output rather than the level of of what's on your plate in that sense so I, su I suppose my real question then uh like had i have had this wake-up call even earlier how do we go about doing less 
how do how do we go about picking the right things to actually go and do or reduce that plate size if you like yeah i think i think the first key thing and as, as you mentioned is understanding what productivity actually means um, and productivity is simply defined as output value relative to input cost with respect to whatever it is so if you're a magician and you're you're aiming to crush a performance and again blow your audience away that's the output value the extent to which you perform incredibly well and your audience is satisfied is the output of your actions so you're trying to optimize to ma- you're trying to optimize that output and maximize that output and so the question is then how can i do that with as low as possible input cost not as much as possible input cost and a lot of people think that that they are more productive by working more hours but that's an increase in input cost relative to the output value so you actually want to try and produce as large results as possible with as little as possible in terms of input costs and the input cost may be the amount of hours you work it may be the amount of energy that you exert it may be the amount of money you spend whatever whatever it may be so i think getting getting a real sense on that that you're trying to optimize that ratio of input to output is is really a crucial first thing and then i think applying liberating constraints is is incredibly incredibly important and also an easy way to really improve focus on you know the important rather than the urgent and so a liberating constraint may be for example limiting the amount of hours that you're going to allow yourself to work and leveraging parkinson's law which is the idea that work contracts to fit the space allotted to it and so if you limit the amount of hours that you're going to allow yourself to work you're forced by default to not increase the input cost of hours worked and just work more hours, but instead lean on other things like more strategic decision-making, getting better at figuring out what are the highest leverage actions I can take. You get better at working faster rather than just putting in endless hours. You get better at identifying and eliminating redundant work. There's research that suggests that something like 20% of hours worked are not just unproductive, but completely redundant and not contributing at all towards goals. So being able to remove that is, is incredibly important. And you're forced to remove redundant work when you are applying a liberating constraint, like for example, limiting the amount of hours that you're that you're willing to work. So I think the first thing is, is getting into a mindset around optimizing output value relative to input cost and, and trying to think about doing more with less as the key to productivity. If you can work less hours and produce the same amount that you're currently producing, you're more productive. You're not more productive by working more hours. Um, You're less productive by working more hours if your output doesn't increase. Um, So I think that's the first key. And then just one simple thing can be to apply liberating constraint, like limiting the amount of hours that you'll allow yourself to work. Hi guys, it's Ashley here. I just want to quickly interrupt this podcast just to say one little thing. If you do enjoy the podcast that we are currently putting out at The Successful Mentalist, uh, do us a favour and make sure to subscribe. It will honestly help us out, it will mean the world, it will help with our stats and rankings which mean that we're then shown to more magicians and mentalists around the world and we want to try and help as many people as possible with these podcasts. So honestly, if you could subscribe, it would mean the absolute world to us. Anyway... Back to the podcast.
Uh, yeah, no, I, I really absolutely love that. I think the the big red flag that comes up for me here is as a uh, as as a magician, as an entertainer, a lot of our work involves doing an awful lot of things just by default. Like we have to actually write a show, we have to actually perform the show, we have to actually sell the show, we have to market the show, we have to have our branding nine times out of the ten. We do we have to do everything because it all comes down to us. But like how how would we go about actually fixing that and, and finding these constraints because sometimes I know for a lot of people it's a lot tougher to be able to eliminate things and, and actually take the less is more approach because everything is just so valuable mm. yeah I think focusing on on leverage is is a really important thing to do and it's really important to develop a mindset around leverage and leverage is essentially in, in simplest terms anything that allows you to do more with less and anything that will give you a permanent increase in the output value that you can get relative to the input cost. So anything that will allow you to get more done in less hours is a simpler, simpler way of putting it. And so leverage can come in lots of different forms. It can come in the form of people. So potentially, you know, hiring an assistant or you, you mentioned actually outsourcing. That can be a great source of leverage whereby you spend one hour preparing a task and delegating it, and then somebody else spends eight hours completing the task. And so you have just gotten a one to eight ratio on your time. Whereas before you would have had, you know, to actually execute yourself for that eight hour period. So leverage can be a really, really valuable, uh, leverage through people can be a really, really valuable thing. Another form of leverage is systems. So systems allow you to create some kind of repeatable process or structure for completing work that is reusable. So rather than if you're a magician having to create your marketing collateral or whatever it is in a different way every time and decide each time you have a show how to make it, where to get it done, what step to do first, if you've got a system whereby all those things are mapped out, you can pump the work repeatedly through that same system and have that system that's built once carry some of the heavy lifting on that. So, you know, taking the time to build systems is really an important piece. Another one is um, decision making. So minimizing the amount of decisions that you're making and making decisions once and being able to leverage those consistently and repeatedly over time. And this is really important in business, having a structure within your business that is largely fixed so that there isn't isolated individual decisions that occur every time you onboard a new client, for example, or every time a new show comes up. Ideally, the way that you approach that new thing is largely predetermined so that you get to repeatedly use that decision again and again. And then I think when it comes to higher leverage activities like these, it's really important to understand what we describe as the leverage gap, which is the idea that you're actually, you're going to see a decrease in your immediate output by doing higher leverage activities. It's going to take you much longer to build a system that's going to give you an increase in output for months or years to come than it is to just do the task. So in the near term, it's going to be more work, but in the long term, you will be more leveraged and get a better return on every hour of work that you put in. So being disciplined enough to 
make the short-term sacrifices and, and put in more in the short term to get a long-term increase in leverage is, is really an important one. And learning is another good example of leverage. If you have the right specific knowledge, you can do more with less. And that's a, that's a really important one. And, and learning is a good example also of where people don't bring a leverage based mindset to the table people often feel so in a rush to do the immediate tasks that are on their plate and to get their checklist for the day done that they don't create the time and space to learn how to do those things more effectively and faster in future and so i think kind of creating the space and being disciplined enough to pursue the higher leverage activities is really crucial and over time that leverage accumulates and accumulates and accumulates and all of a sudden a 60-hour week is possible in 30 hours because of the way you've restructured your workflows and routines and approaches to things i think this is really really useful because i speak to so many magicians and commonly in the magic industry people have like the regular day job the nine to five and they do magic in the evening. That, that's quite common for a lot of magicians. And you tend to find people saying, oh, I just don't have time to do this. I, I really don't have time to do this. And they get stressed. And putting it, all of this into place really does help. And I know just from one of those points, systems, myself and Adam recently went through and systematized our entire business. And it's helped so much in terms of making us feel less stressed. We know exactly what we're doing. We know the most important things. We know exactly how to do each task. We know how long it's going to take. And it helps reduce that cognitive load. And we just feel so much better. We feel like we have more time. But the question I wanted to ask you is, people now know exactly, exactly what they should be focusing on. They're like, I hear you, Ian. I hear you. This sounds fantastic. But I'm still stuck. You talk about these high le highest leverage tasks, and I don't really know how to choose between them. Do you have like a process to sort through and find out the tasks which are most important, like that Eisenhower matrix or anything like that? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. Yeah, I think the Eisenhower matrix is, is actually a really good example of one. So, you know, first thing that's obviously extremely important is to determine what the goal is. And I know that sounds obvious, but a lot of people actually do not do that. They don't actually know what they're optimizing for overall uh, at a at a daily level, at a monthly level, <clears throat> at a quarterly level, or overall at an annual level. So determining the goal is the first key thing. Otherwise, you know, you're, you're pointing productivity at nothing. And it, it's impossible to point productivity. It's impossible to be productive if, if, you're, if you're pointing that productivity at nothing. And there is no output. There is no goal. You're actually trying to get through the productivity. So I think determining the goal is the first key, key thing. And then very simply looking at what are the actions or the unlocking moves or the power moves or whatever you want to call it that are going to move you toward that goal most rapidly. And being, being skilled at, at this is, is, you know, takes time and takes practice. It's, it's difficult to get good at determining the goal and then determining the key actions to lead to that goal. But there are usually a certain set of relatively simple actions with respect to any goal that disproportionately outweigh all the other actions. And so let's try and find an example for magicians. You know, there's probably some kind of task that most magicians do or have to do repeatedly before a show that is going to have a disproportionate impact on how well that show goes. And that may be directly practicing 
or rehearsing. I'm not sure what exactly that task is, but there's there's got to be something there. And giving that specific high leverage task or power move a disproportionate amount of time and attention is key in order to produce that result or produce that goal better and faster. So I think that's a, a really you know important but simple two-step process is what's the goal and what action that I can take repeatedly is going to lead me towards that goal disproportionately fast relative to the other things that I could do. And this, this is really relevant to people starting businesses. A lot of people start a business and have no sales and they spend time creating business cards and creating logos and building a nice website and tweaking the copy and the branding on their website and you know, fiddling around with the tech automation for their email list that they want to build. And they're not doing the one thing that will make it an actual business, which is selling. And so a simple example there with starting a business is that in that case, potentially selling is the highest leverage thing to do. And then within that, reaching out to new prospects is the highest leverage thing to do. And so all of a sudden, rather than having you know 50 different tasks that you could do as part of building a business, there's one action which is reach out to prospect to sell and you just repeatedly repeatedly do that so it's an, a, a simple example but getting good at, at separating the signal from the noise with respect to the tasks that are disproportionately impactful i think is, is really the key thing one of the questions that i like to ask myself is what is my unlocking move today or in the next month or in the next quarter what is the one thing that if done will make everything else either easier or redundant. And that's a simple way of asking, you know, what thing is gonna give me the most leverage? And so trying to figure that out is, is a really important thing to do and to do repeatedly and to, to get a habit, to get in the habit of doing. And one of the effective ways at a practical level to do that is to journal and to every, week or even day ask yourself what is my unlocking move what is the one action that will make everything else easier or entirely redundant that i can get done today and then identify that action and prioritize it far above all else i think that people don't prioritize aggressively enough and i think that within prioritization it's key to be willing to deprioritize everything else that that sort of seems important but that is not actually going to produce the result that you're trying to produce and that's one of the um one of the key necessities in prioritization is, is deprioritization by default by definition so holding that thing that you've identified as the highest leverage thing way above everything else and treating it you know unfairly with respect to those other tasks is really important to being willing to do that and as a result of that, being willing to let other things slip a little bit in exchange for having a higher amount of focus, time, and attention go to the thing that's going to actually produce the best results. Oh, I love that. It, it links to something that I think is in uh, Deep Work by Cal Newport. And the idea, like he puts out there, that a lot of businesses have their top five priorities. And the case is like, okay, there's, there's five things that need doing, but which one is the priority and having loads of priorities, you actually put yourself in a position of you have no priorities, but what you're saying right. here is having that complete clear 
this is what I need to get done. This is the absolute priority, the biggest unlocking move, just focusing on that and letting everything else happen. Uh, yeah, I think a good, a good rule of thumb and, and a good thing to train up is being able to, at any point, any day, any week, name the one to three key things that you're you've got to get done and so optimizing around the idea that you know if someone comes up to you randomly in an elevator in a shop and says hey you know what's your unlocking move for today that you can instantly spit it out or what's your unlocking move for the week or for the month or for the quarter you can instantly spit it out and having it constantly 100 clear and top of mind and being very diligent about that is is really really crucial and just a, a nice way of forcing yourself to get that clarity you know asking yourself okay if someone asked me right now you know what is my what is my unlocking move so to speak would i be able to answer that instantly so i think that's that's really important and uh and I, yeah i've got mine top of mind now that i'm now that i'm saying it um and it makes such a difference it makes such a difference it allows you to just pierce through all the noise and all the busyness and ask yourself, okay, is this the actual thing that I have determined is going to make a difference? And how many hours am I spending on it today? And it's very, very easy to get lost with that. So I'll give you an example just of an overall you know, priority that a lot of business owners have once they hit a certain state, which is recruitment. And Sequoia Capital, which is one of the biggest venture capital firms in Silicon Valley, recommends that most CEOs spend at least 50% of all their working time singularly on recruitment. And a lot of people talk about wanting the best talent and wanting to find the best people and how difficult it is to do that. But then if you were to look at their calendar, they're allocating you know, 5% of their time to recruitment or you know, 3% or none, or even 15%, or whatever it is. And you've got to make sure that there's a really tight feedback relationship between whatever your priority is, and what is actually on your calendar at a very specific level. So I think constantly doing that and then and then holding that priority top of mind is, is really key. Can I ask you a question which you're going to hate? Sure. <laughs> I, love I love the look of dread on your hate. face now it's that moment of <laughs> i'll wait till you ask it and then decide whether to leave the call or not but <laughs> honestly you've shared some amazing stuff and i know for magicians they don't really know a lot about the world of peak performance and all of this and like i i gave that example at the beginning of this call and i can say that everything you've shared it makes your business better it makes you feel better but i know there's going to be so many so many people listening to this so I have a question which I think you'll give a beautiful answer to, to really eliminate that doubt from people's minds. But the question is this, why should people care about peak performance? Why should they care about anything you've said today? It's a good, it's a good question. I think that, um, well, I, I actually don't think they should care about peak performance. I think the peak performance is just a means to an end. And the end is the thing that you do care about already, which is being a great magician, presumably. And so peak performance is just an accelerant towards the thing that you care about. It's just, you know, putting fuel in the car to drive to where you want to drive to. You don't want to drive to peak performance. You want to drive to the thing that you care about, which is, you know, again, building an amazing business or becoming an amazing parent or being an amazing magician or whatever it is. 
And these are just tools that help you do the thing you care about better. I think that it's it's not an end in itself. It's a means to an end. And it's, it's easy and common in the self-development industry for this stuff to become a hobby and for people to start to sort of mix it up with it being an end in itself and to care more about the peak performance than the thing they're doing these practices and habits and protocols for. The goal of a lot of this stuff is to be able to do something that's important better. It's not to be able to do these things well. So, you know, being, being incredible at, at journaling, if your goal is to be an amazing magician, doesn't necessarily make much sense. The journaling is, should be in service of you being, you know, a better magician if that's your, your primary goal. I think particularly what's what really resonates is the fact that he's saying here that the the when people obsess over peak performance, they're obsessing over that wrong thing and it's putting it back in that direction and actually pointing in the right direction and using it as that tool, because it's it's not easy to be a peak performer. It's like what training with you guys over at the Flow Research Collective. It's it's absolutely absurd how simple it can be but how tricky it can can actually be to build up these habits and practices of, of peak performance. Are there any thoughts that you've got in terms of if this is perhaps the route that people should go, well, where, whereabouts could they go and, and what should they bear in mind before they start a journey of peak performance? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. I mean, I think that, yeah, I, th I think that it, it's, Basically, it, it can, as I mentioned, it can amplify the thing that you most care about. And so if you want to go far in the thing that you care about, if you want to be able to do that thing <clears throat> at a high level, then peak performance, you know, makes makes sense. And really applying these sorts of practices intentionally makes makes sense and is and is worthwhile. The some sort of pieces of advice I would have for people is that it's a game of incrementalism and that gradual habits built, gradual mindsets shifted, gradual things learned and changes made over time compound and result in exponential improvements. But it begins as an incremental process of tiny tweaks and changes and you know falling off the wagon and then getting yourself back on and then falling off again and then getting yourself back on. One of the ways that I like to think about growth and self-development in general is as a cyclical process where you, you know, you get really, really on point and dialed in and then you kind of go back around and fall back to where you were sometimes even be below where you were, but then in the next cycle, your high is a little bit higher and your low is a little bit less low in terms of your performance, in terms of your habits, in terms of you know what you're getting done, your productivity, whatever it may be. And then the next time, the high is a little bit higher and the low is a little bit lower, less low, I should say. And so over time, that sort of cycling gradually trends in an upward direction. But often in the moment or even you know on a month-to-month -month basis, it feels like you're back at the starting line again. But the, the, the place that you've landed back to is actually ahead of your previous you know lower point or your initial starting line
makes complete sense. It's it's so important to notice that it's it's that trend, and I'm glad you said it's that incremental thing rather than just yeah, I'm going to be peak performance if I do these five things every single day. Then yeah, I'm I'm, I'm amazing by the end of the week. It's it right. is much steadier and much much more much more relaxed in the sense of you don't have to go and do everything all at once just like we was talking in the context of productivity it's a it's that bit by bit which which i personally that opened my eyes when i first learned about all of this stuff right um, so with that said Rian, th- i mean i've i've learned an awful lot from this this actual episode but for our listeners who have like in, also enjoyed it whereabouts can they go to find more about you your work peak performance in general where can we go Sure. Yeah. So I would say um, you can check out flowresearchcollective.com. We've got a tab on there. I think it's called learn. And under that, there's some different masterclasses and things like that, that you can go deep on. You can also look us up on YouTube, Flow Research Collective, and then Flow Research Collective Radio is the podcast. We interview all sorts of different folks on these kinds of topics. And we go deep with them on the signs of peak performance and then things that you can apply specifically as well. I love that. And, and again, I, I just recommend absolutely everything. It's a genuinely a case that there are a few podcasts that I listen to, but the Flow Research Collective Radio is just by far one of my favorites. Uh, and I love it, loving all the work that you're doing. I appreciate it. And you're, you're one of our, you're one of our very favorite clients. So I appreciate it. <laughs> There we go. Aiden's now got a happy smile, but honestly, <laughs> I want to thank you so much for that, Rian. Um, because as Aiden said, the Flow Research Collective Radio is a podcast we've been listening to right from the very beginning. And also, if they want to take it a stage further, they can check out your amazing TED Talk you've done about a year ago as well, because you've done honestly some amazing things. But I just want to say thank you so much for being on the Successful Mentalist podcast. And definitely, guys, if you're listening right now, check out Flow Research Collective Radio. Honestly, it is insane. You will get your mind blown and blown and blown with every new and fantastic episode that comes out. But with that said, thank you so much, Ryan, for being here. It's been amazing. And I know that you've opened the eyes of so many magicians around the globe. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Big time. And uh, yeah, as I said, love the work you're doing. Super cool that you guys are are putting this information out to magicians specifically. It's epic. And uh, I'm sure your guys' clients are pretty pretty badass as well given that they're all magicians hey it's aiden here i hope you enjoyed this episode if you did it would really mean the world to us if you just took a moment to leave a rating and a review on your preferred podcast player that way it just helps us grow the show and get it into the ears of more listeners across the world in a non-creepy way also when you're ready to roll here are three ways that we can help you right now number one is to join our free facebook group It's called the Magician's Business Group and we're creating the most valuable space on the internet for entertainers that are looking to grow and improve their business. We'd love you to join us inside. So to do that, just head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash group and the magic of the internet will take you straight there or just pull open Facebook and search for the Magician's Business Group. Number two is to take our new quiz. It'll help you find the biggest opportunity in your entertainment business right now. And in just a few quick questions, you'll be presented with a seven minute breakdown of your biggest opportunity and how you can actually go about tackling that to help increase your entertainment business and boost it completely. In order to take the quiz, just head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash quiz. That's thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash quiz. And we'll be able to get you your results. Number three, momentum. 
If you'd like to make an extra two grand a month in Magic without paying a penny for advertising, we'd love to help you. Our latest coaching program, Momentum, is designed to get you booking gigs every single week for at least £500 so that you can be growing your entertainment business without having to worry about websites or business cards or advertising or any of that kind of stuff. To find out more, just head over to thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash momentum. That's thesuccessfulmentalist.com forward slash momentum, and we'll send you all of the details.